Hi folks, Chocolate Yoda here, spelled Y-O-D-D-A-H, because film studios are litigious. And um, the title, To Be, is of course a little hint at uh, Shakespeare, and specifically the play Hamlet, and more specifically, the most famous speech in the English language. Now, the reason why I'm going to go over this is because I was very surprised to learn recently in three different conversations that most people don't know what this speech is about. And what it's about is a contemplation of suicide. That's right. Hamlet was depressed. And, um, most people don't understand that because of how it's presented. I believe in uh, schools, and not just American schools, by the way, because one of the people that I spoke to was from London, and he didn't know this either. So I think it's just the way schools present Shakespeare, it makes it hard for people to understand it. And yes, there is another challenge in the Elizabethan language, but this particular speech is usually presented wrong. And what I mean by that is that most of the time that I had seen it, it was delivered with high energy. They would start off to be or not to be. That is the question. And that's the wrong energy. Obviously, if you're contemplating suicide, that's not how you're talking. Even if you're talking to yourself, and I think especially if you're talking to yourself, that's not the energy that you would bring to it. And I didn't understand that until Mel Gibson did his version of Hamlet. And he read the piece correctly. He read it as someone depressed and contemplating suicide would read it. And finally I went, oh, wow. And um, this speech is actually where the name of my podcast comes from. And it's not in the wording. It's in my interpretation of a specific aspect of this speech, and I'll get to that later. But what I'm going to do is read it. Uh, but what I've done is I, I actually uh, own a Shakespeare glossary. And what I've done is I've replaced some of the uh, very hard or nearly impossible to understand Elizabethan language with more current language. And hopefully there'll be no sticking points in this. But here we go. To be or not to be. That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. To die. To sleep no more and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to? Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the problem. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. 
For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's abuse, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quieting make with a bare blade. Who would bear loads, to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country, from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will, and makes us rather bear those ills we have, than fly to others that we know not of. Thus, conscience does make cowards of us all. And thus, the native hue of resolution, sicklied over with the pale cast of thought, and enterprises of great height and moment, with this regard, their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. The end. So, hopefully that was a little bit easier to understand. But here's where um, my podcast name comes from. Um, my podcast, for those of you who don't know, is titled The Persistent Rumor. And there's a part in here where he refers to death as the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. What does that mean? That means no one comes back from death, so we can't ask anybody about it. None of us knows what the experience of death is because there's no one to ask about it. So my conclusion is that death is merely a persistent rumor. That's where the name of my podcast comes from. So hopefully my slight embellishments in a few words in that speech make it a little easier to follow. And um, hopefully now that you know that it's a contemplation of suicide, that you'll look at this work a little bit differently. People refer to him as the greatest writer ever. I don't know if there's any value in that. I, I will say that his plays have been reproduced more than any other plays. They've been uh, reproduced in every major language of the world. And, you know, he, um, he actually invented words. Not all words, but he contributed something crazy. I, I don't know what it is, but thousands of words to the language. And I probably would have been like everybody else, but I got into Shakespeare by accident. A teacher, and I believe it was an English teacher, and I don't remember which one, but we were asked to memorize one of Shakespeare's sonnets, and I believe there's 154 of them. And I randomly chose Sonnet 18. And I memorized it. I came in the next day and I recited it. And for some reason that I completely do not understand, I never forgot it. It would just pop into my head at times complete uh, from that moment. So I guess that was a, a time release gift that that teacher gave me. And what it is about um, Sonnet 18 that impressed me was that at the end, because the whole sonnet is about his sadness that the object of his affection is going to die one day. 
And at the end, he said, so long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. What he's saying is, as long as this writing exists, and as long as people read it, then you stay alive. And when I saw that, I had a feeling like, wow, I'm actually part of fulfilling Shakespeare's wish to keep the object of his love alive, because I just read this piece. So I'm part of this amazing continuum. And for some reason, that really moved me. And it still does today. The older I get, the more beautiful I find a lot of his writing. And the sonnets are very interesting. They're, you know, there's a specific structure. Each sentence has 10 syllables. And, you know, there's a specific rhyme pattern to them. And some of them are like frivolous, like he's, he's chastising uh, his, uh, his love to produce more children in a lot of them, just because, again, he's, he's obsessed with the idea of cheating death. So he's always saying, hey, you can't leave this earth without reproducing because then if once you go, it's over. But if you have children, you live on, you know, so and I didn't know that before. And so I decided to uh, record all of his sonnets. I'm now (laughs) more than 40 years after I originally was introduced to Shakespeare, I've decided to dive headlong into all of his works. And after the uh, sonnets, I don't know if I'll record anything else. I might if I find anything uh, of particular interest, but I know that I want to read everything that he wrote. I want to read all his plays. I particularly love Hamlet. I love Romeo and Juliet. I'm fascinated by Macbeth, partly because Rush embellished one of the lines from there, all the world's a stage. They, They added that, you know, all the world's indeed a stage. We are merely players, performers, and portrayers, each another's audience outside the gilded cage. That's an embellishment from uh, a speech that uh, Macbeth gave. So uh, I just uh, am, am uh, absolutely in awe of Shakespeare's writing. I believe that he captured every human experience in his writings, which is, I think, why it's endured because the human experience hasn't ever changed. I mean, the externals have changed. You know, we live indoors now. We have sewage and running water. And, you know, we we have a lot of things uh, technologically and materially that we didn't have in the past. But the software in our brains is the same. Our life expectancy is basically the same. And, and, you know, when people say people used to die at 35, that's not true. That was the average because infant mortality was so low that it brought the average down, but people were regularly leaving into their 70s and 80s. That's nothing new. So we are the same as we've ever been, and Shakespeare captured us so thoroughly that 400 years later, we're still producing his plays and reading his works because it endures, and it's all still true. I think that's why Carlin is still popular, because he did the same thing. He reported accurately on the human condition and held a mirror to us and say, look how silly we are. Look how ridiculous it is, the things that we do. And his work endures as a result. He wasn't ahead of his time. He just perfectly encapsulated his time. Um, So yeah, there it is. To be or not to be. Hopefully I've added some understanding to the brilliant words of Shakespeare. 
Um, and again, it's only because the Elizabethan language is so different from American English that sometimes it's challenging. So hopefully my translating the uh, some of the words in that speech uh, make it easier to understand. We'll see. You'll be the final judge of all that. Anyway, until next time, peace, love, and granola. Talk to you soon. Ah.